I went up to uh, Biggin Hill Memorial Museum recently. Has anyone been up there yet? It was on the national news. Uh, one, one of the first visitors, only up the road, and it was really interesting. I want to tell you about one of the things I learnt there. There are three ladies, Sergeant Joan Mortimer, Flight Officer Elspeth Henderson, and Sergeant Helen Turner, who, of only the six women who awarded military medals during the Second World War, they were three of them. And they were based up the road in our neighbourhood at Biggin Hill. So there you go. I don't know why we should take any credit for that, but it's nice, isn't it? And uh, they were communications officers who stayed working through one of the heaviest air raids in the Battle of Britain on the 1st of September 1940. Let me tell you a bit about them. Elspeth kept communication with Flight Command HQ even when she was knocked to the ground by a direct hit. Helen kept the switchboard open as the building was hit that she was in and bombs fell nearby. Joan kept communication with the airport defence posts despite being surrounded by high explosives herself and then went out and marked all the unexploded bombs with red flags that she'd found, even when one of them went off. You can see why they're awarded military medals for bravery. They kept working during the battle. We've got a passage to read this morning. You'll have it in the notes if it's come round to you. It'll be in your Bibles. Do flick to it if you have one in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, this passage may be familiar to many of you because it's become a foundational passage for some of the freedom ministries that we've tapped into, such as Freedom in Christ, uh, which was referred to earlier. So it's become familiar and maybe a bit of a favorite, and this is where we're going to focus this morning. 2 Corinthians 10, uh, from verse 3 to verse 5. For though we live... In the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, just help us in this time together. Illuminate the scripture to us, to our hearts and minds. Gift us with faith to believe. And equip us, Lord, equip us for the warfare ahead. To know your victory and your freedom in our lives and those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So that's our passage for this morning. I think we've already had some illustration of it uh, from our testimony at other times as well. Even in our worship, I feel very encouraged. But before we look at the instruction that, that this text gives us, I want to just highlight to you the three assumptions that this passage makes about Christian life. Just to check in that our assumptions are the same about how things work around here for us who are in Christ. The three assumptions all begin with W, I know, well it's in the passage, they're war, world and weapons. Firstly, war. You see, the Christian life is not like a battle. It is a battle. This passage uses the language of warfare. It refers to waging war, weapons that we fight with, demolishing strongholds, taking captive. That's warfare language, if ever there was. 
And I'd suggest, actually, across the whole Bible, old and new, the, the primary metaphor in the Bible to describe the life in God is one of warfare, one of battle. And this passage, again, reminds us that it's our minds that are on the front line of this battle. The thought life of a Christian is a major battleground. That's why this passage refers to this fight between arguments and pretension on one side and the knowledge of God. Arguments, knowledge, it's, it's thought processes, it's, it's, it's things that are going on in the mind. It talks about taking captive thoughts, taking the thoughts captive. It's there, it's the mind that is a major battlefield. And of course, we must remember, as we've already alluded to this morning, that we do have an enemy. And he is nasty. Elsewhere in the Bible, he's likened to a prowling lion, as I've put in your notes. Be sober-minded. There's that word again, minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 1 Peter 3. He's not a pussycat looking to be stroked. He's a roaring lion looking to devour and damage and destroy. We're at war. Now, the second assumption that this passage takes, we must take on board as well, is of the world. The world acts at times like an agent to the enemy. The world has a view. It thinks in a certain way, and often it is contrary to the way God thinks. This world view is persuasive. It has argument that is uh, rational and emotive, and it's assertive. This worldview is pervasive. It spreads throughout society almost unseeingly, and then it becomes an accepted norm. Then it becomes the assumed position, and any opinion that comes up against it is not understood. The worldview is very proud. It has lofty ideas. It ignores God or is ignorant of God. And we live in the world. That's the start of our passage. We live in the world. <laughs> And that's right. God wants us to live in the world. He doesn't want us to live off-grid. Because God wants us, his people, to impact, to influence the world to his way of thinking. Not the other way around, of course. But we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We know that from elsewhere in Scripture. We've come to Christ now. We're no longer from around here. Do you feel that sometimes? The Bible describes us as those in Christ as strangers, aliens on this world. Uh, and it can feel like that at times. We're, it's like we're from another country now. It's like we're from another planet. We're not from around here, but we're to be here to bring the influence of God's thoughts to the world around us. So that's the world. And thirdly, the assumption of weapons. There are weapons in this war. And the enemy has weapons, and he's firing them at us, whether you're aware of it or not. Uh, I've likened his weapons to two types, really. There's the carpet bombing, just to use this airfield analogy a little bit more. There's the carpet bombing weapon of the enemy. He's just indiscriminate. He's throwing, dropping hundreds of bombs of any and every variety over our heads, hoping that some will fit, that will hit. Don't take it personally. He's just launched them out there. And he's also got guided missiles, where he does personally target each of us with things. He can't read your mind, but he used to control it before you were in Christ. And he's remembered how it used to work. And though he's been booted out, he's targeting those weak points, those vulnerable points again and again. 
So if you had a problem with lust, if you used to be gripped by fear before you were in Christ, then he aims his guided missile at that same point in your life. And the devil's primary weapon is lies. It's why he's referred to elsewhere as the father of lies, the accuser, the false accuser, the deceiver. We see this in the Garden of Eden. We looked at it a little bit, I think, last week, where the Satan, the serpent, tempts Eve. Did God really say? You won't certainly die. Sowing doubt, sowing questions, undermining the word of God. The same when the devil met Jesus in the wilderness, twisting the biblical promises, sowing half-truths to see what reaction he gives. It is written, said Jesus, every time. Because sometimes these lies, they seem semi-reasonable. They seem uh, almost plausible. What harm will it do? Deserve a bit of self-pity, what you've been going through. No one's going to know. No one's going to see. Well, on this occasion, I think you're justified to judge somebody like that. It's half-truth. It's very deceptive. But we have better weapons, better weapons than that. Our weapons aren't just a deterrent, though. They're for active use in combat. They're called weapons of warfare, not weapons of the shelf or, 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 or the quiet No, weapons to bring out and use. And thankfully, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We've been singing about it this morning. The weapons that we have at our disposal can blast any wrong thought from the devil, however established, however ingrained it's becoming us, to smithereens. can go. Hallelujah. Amen. We believe this. What is our weapon? What is the weapon that God gives us? That's so powerful. The weapon is the truth. It is the truth. It is his truth. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. It's, it's him and it's his word and his thoughts. And just as light always beats darkness, it does, doesn't it? If, if you're in a dark room, you can't just shoo away the darkness. Off you go. No, you turn on the light and it's got to go. It's gone. Where's it gone? The light's come. So it is with truth. Truth beats lies every time. There's no arms race in the kingdom of God. The race is over. We have weapons of divine provision and power. And therefore, I think really this passage is a battle cry. It's a call to fight, therefore. The instruction here is to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That's active. That, that's a doing thing. That, that's, that's got some assertiveness about it. It's time to take responsibility. It's time to make choices about what lands in our mind and what's turned away. We're not just to sit passively waiting for the Lord to take captive our thoughts. It's something we have to do and we can do if we want to see transformation and change in our lives. Amen? Amen. I love that song. We sang it earlier about our God being the lion and the lamb. It's really helpful. It's, it's giving him uh, kind of credit for who he is. But there's something about the line, he fights our battles. I know what it's saying. and I can join in with it. But the other truth is, no, no, we've got some battles to fight for our mind. He's given us some responsibility here as well. He has the victory. It's in his victory we stand. But we've got some fighting to do. 
The Bible frequently warns us against laziness. And perhaps one of the reasons why some Christians falter in their faith, plateau in their progression in God, is just because of that. Being apathetic about our minds, just allowing the content of our thoughts to drift along, is not what it is to take thoughts captive. You can agree with me on that, I'm sure. And here's some other verses just to emphasize really how active and strong the verbs are for the responsibility we have for our minds. What about this in Philippians 4, 7? Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I've got to guard my mind. You've got to guard your mind. I'm not going to come and guard your mind. It wouldn't be a good idea if I guarded your mind. I couldn't anyway. You don't want me lurking in your thoughts all the time. I, I can be assured of that. Prepare your minds, there it is again, minds for action. And being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace, 1 Peter 1. So prepare your mind for what? For action. There's some action to do here. And it's typical of, of all the New Testament writing. It seemed to be that this was normal early church uh, teaching that helped them as believers now to be freed up. And the process of change, I just want to look at, the process of change has two aspects, like two pistons in an engine. It's not like two steps because they happen simultaneously. They're happening at the same time. And that is to take thoughts and make them captive. And we shouldn't be too surprised of this twin approach. It's quite typical in Scripture. Jesus himself talked like this. He talked about repenting and believing. You repent, you turn away from old thoughts and, and, and actions and behaviors, and you believe now. You believe this instead, this thing about Jesus, this thing about his uh, gospel. So it's quite typical. He, in some of his other teaching, he says things like this. Don't worry. Don't worry. You know, but seek first the kingdom of God. It, it's both and. Don't worry, but seek first the kingdom of God. Yeah, it's putting one away to take hold of the other. It's quite typical throughout Scripture. Paul says this. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Yeah, Do both. Count yourself dead to sin. Don't stop there. And count yourself alive in God, it's both and. James puts it pithily like this. Submit yourselves to God, does it the other way around, and resist the devil and he will flee from you. We had that sentiment already. Yeah? So let's resist the devil of this and submit to God on this. It's the both together, the twin action. So what are they? These two aspects I'd like to draw out from this passage. Firstly, it's to identify the lies. And we'll come to replacing the truth with the truth in a minute. See, for ages we thought in the wrong way. Our thinking was dominated by something else, and it's time for that to change. Christians need to speak this kind of language to themselves, if you like. Thoughts line up now. You're, you, you, you're owned by God. We sang that. You're owned by the king. Now line up to the king's way of thinking. Stop rebelling against him and submit to him. Because thoughts are like aeroplanes. They they're buzzing around your mind like aeroplanes over a runway. And some of these are God's thoughts and some of them are wrong thoughts from the enemy. But you are like the air traffic controller. You're sitting in the control room. You're the communications officers of your mind. You're there to establish, is this, are these thoughts friend or foe? Are they enemy fire or are they God's grace? You can't control always what planes are there as in around, but you can take control of what's given permission to land and what's turned away, in, away from your thinking. 
Let me give you an example. This is how it's worked for me in the past in one area. I have had hat. I have had hat. I have had um, uh, a tendency to worry. And it's no secret to my enemy that that was there, because lo and behold, he once owned my mind. He would have known that. But now I'm in Christ. But these thoughts that might cause me to worry at times still buzz around my head. Do they yours? Maybe for some of you. They're looking for those old landing strips that were in my mind to see if they can land there again and fill me with those worries. Let me suggest it's a little bit like this. This is me acting, because it's as good as it gets. Hello, this is uh, flight TM101, requesting permission to land. Over. Oh, I should have gone the other way around, shouldn't it? Over. That's it. I'm going to do that every time. This is ground control to flight TM101. Uh, you, you're not scheduled to, to, to land here. Uh, over. Put it right. Mayday, mayday, this is uh, TM101, permission to, uh, to land, very urgent, over. I'm going to do it again. <laughs> this is ground control, flight TM101, you're really not scheduled to land, you cannot land here. Tell me what is your load. Mayday, mayday, this is flight TM101, emergency requested. I have 250 reasons to worry. You're, you, you, you've got too much to do, you haven't got enough time, you've got no one to help you, and they're, they're happening now. I'm, I'm crash landing, over. Anyway, did that work for you? Cool. Put a lot into that. Oh dear, yeah, stick to the day job. Um, it's a bit like that. You see, the, the enemy's thoughts, they're, they're always lies. They're always lies. They never produce what they promised because they're not of God. And we need to wake up to that. Let's take another example. We've referred to this a few times already, so we've got over it. That is in the area of pornography. It promises much but delivers nothing. It doesn't fulfill you, it leaves you empty. It doesn't free you, it controls you. It isn't leading you into relationship, but making you isolated. It isn't harmless, but harms you, harms others, harms those involved in its production. And the enemy lands every time you click on the mouse. Every time you swipe the screen, the enemy is landing. And yet you're a believer in Christ. <laughs> But this is, this, is, this is where it goes. It goes around this cycle, doesn't it? Sin. Oh, confess, Lord. Oh, forgiveness. Praise the Lord. Sin. Oh, confess, Lord. Forgiveness, thank you. And we can go around that cycle again and again. See, you're not taken out of Christ. You're still a believer. He will forgive you time and time and time again, such is his grace. Hallelujah. But that's not God's will for your life. To go around that circle again and again. He, he's provided for you to overcome, to break free, to see the lies for what they are and to demolish them. They don't have that effect anymore. You see, the moment you agree with these wrong thinkings, they, you, you accommodate them. And then they find it easier to land again and again and again. And then lo and behold, after a time, they set up a little camp in your thinking. Because so many of them landed now. And then it becomes a fortress, read stronghold, as this passage refers to it. A stronghold, wrong thoughts that now have a stronghold on your thinking. They set up camp there. That's why we've got to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. 
You know the wrong thoughts. You're in Christ. You have the mind of Christ. I think you do. Do you know how to discern what's right and wrong? Uh, yes, you do. The Holy Spirit has come to reside in you. You know, deep down, you know what's right and what's wrong. And it's every thought. <laughs> oh, Lord, this is sounding exhausting now, Lord. It's every thought we're to take captive. But just think about it for a minute. Just think about Gatwick Airport just down the road. If they didn't kind of check in with every flying object around here, we would soon know about it. There would still be carnage and chaos. Maybe something crash-landed into Lingfield or something. You see them, don't you? You see them all stacked up over Eden Bridge down to Lingfield, coming down to Hawley. There they all are, all nice and neat, ready to come in. But that's because there's a control tower. That's because there's an air traffic controller there, managing, operating it all, and so they can cope with even every minute something else coming in to land safely. And if anything unidentified as a flying object comes in, even like that rogue drone that came recently, do you remember? And the whole of Gatwick had to stand still, frustrated travellers, etc. Well, it's taken seriously. That's the kind of approach we need to take as the air traffic controllers of our mind. So we're taking thoughts captive, we're looking and identifying the lies, and we're replacing it with the truth. Piston number two, if you like, of this engine. This is about replacing, not simply removing the wrong thoughts. But we know this kind of works in everyday life. We know it works with children. We say to children, no, don't do that, don't we? John, Johnny, Johnny, no, don't do that. Yeah, we do that. Little Johnny, don't, don't do that. And what's Johnny hearing? He's hearing, no, 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 don't do that. No, he's hearing that, isn't he? He might not be able to say, oh, okay. No, don't, do, don't touch this. Don't touch, no, don't touch this. Don't touch this. Yeah, you see, he does, isn't it? That's how it works. Because he's focused on it now. Now, what you say, look, Johnny, don't touch that. Play with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, play with that. Yeah. <laughs> he's forgotten the thing he's not meant to be touchy. We know it works like that. Let me suggest it works a little a bit like this as well. Don't think about Donald Trump. Just don't think about him, okay? Don't think about the fact that he's just visited this country, he's met the Queen, he's been all kind of trying to be regal. Uh, don't think about his build, you know, and his, his manner. Don't think about that golden hair and that quiffy, slick thing over there. Don't think about that. Don't think about the things he says and the provocative things he says and the slightly ignorant things he might possibly think he said. Don't think about Donald Trump at all, okay? What are you thinking about? By this, think about Nelson Mandela. Think about just how stately and presidential he was. Think about the grace of his movements, his oratory, his eloquence. Just think about his humility and what he went through. Are you thinking about Donald Trump? Who's thinking about Donald Trump now? Well, you are now, because I've just said it. <laughs> but you see, it works like that with lives and with truth, with the messages of the enemy and with God's thoughts. A renewed mind does not consist of just getting rid of those old thoughts, but replacing them with the new thoughts. Because if there's no replacement, you're going to live in a vacuum. And in the vacuum, the old thoughts are going to find it easy to come back and land again in your mind. This is not, by the way, anything to do with positive thinking, looking on the bright side of life, whistling a happy tune, thinking happy thoughts, imagining it's all going to be well again and better tomorrow. 
It's not about simply emptying your minds like some meditation techniques might suggest. No, this is about filling our minds. Filling it. What with? Well, this weapon, the truth. How the Bible puts it elsewhere. Sorry for the strobe effect. It's like a disco, isn't it? It was a barn dance last night and a disco today. Never mind. Colossians 3, set your minds, what? On things that are above. That's what your mind's to do. Not on things that are on earth, okay? Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, what do we do? Think about such things. Lies are being shot down out of the sky by the truth. God's word is truth, and it's the truth that will set you free. And maybe one of the reasons why as Christians we don't always experience the freedom that Christ has secured for us is that our minds aren't always filled with the truth. Spending hours trying to overcome wrong thoughts without replacing them with the truth won't get us anywhere. You stop listening to the lies when you think about the truth. Let me tell you how it has worked for me in the past over the years when it comes to worry, this world of worry that I am sometimes vulnerable on. But I've learned now. Probably the least of my concerns now. That's an irony. Anyway, um, because I've learned the truth and the truth weapons that help me with anxiety. So if a wrong thought starts circling my head again, I know how to combat it. I remember um, uh, verses like this in 1 Peter 5. Cast all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. And that's, I just remember that. Cast all your cares. Cares, see anxiety, see uh, worries, see concerns. Cast all of them onto Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. So I do that. Not literally, but it's like fishing. I cast them. They're going away from me a long way. And not just to the universe, to the ceiling. They're going to Jesus. He's going to take care of them. And that's a bit of prayer, isn't it? Casting. But it's determined. I'm not having this. That worry is not going to be part of me. Jesus can take care of it. And, 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 but then it's not just that, because he cares for you. That's the truth now. So the lie is gone, but I need to replace it. He cares for you. God, yes, God cares for me. I believe God cares for me. He cared for me yesterday. He's cared for me throughout my whole life. I can count the ways he's cared for me. He's caring for me right now. He's caring for me, my family, my church, my nation, in all these different ways. I can believe he's going to care for me tomorrow and for the rest of my days and for the generations beyond because he's a God who cares. Amen. God is good. Uh, why do we keep repeating it? Because it's helpful for us. He's good. Have you got it yet? He is good. It's helpful to sing these things as well. I remember verses like this, Philippians 4, 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Oh, great, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm anxious. Don't be anxious. Oh, okay, ah. Um, but it goes on, thankfully. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, I love that phrase, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, that's the opposite of my anxiety, which transcends all understanding. It's not human. It's not of your origin. It's of God. Well, God, what will it guard? Your heart. Oh, and your mind. Oh, praise God. It's going to guard my mind. Oh, I thought I had to guard my mind. You do by doing this, and then he will guard your mind. Yeah, wow. Blown away here. You see how it's helpful to, to find the truths that help you in your spiritual battle. If it's worry, you've got an easy, easy bit of homework today, isn't it? Because I've just given you the answers. Well, no, you need to find your own. Because the, the Bible's littered with them. But with thanksgiving, I take that. Yes, Lord, one of the things I do every morning 
One of the first things I do is, is thank God for five things from yesterday, the last 24 hours. Because it is, it's filling my heart with thankfulness. Suddenly my cares, they've gone. They've, they've been brought into perspective. And then I can present my request. Lord, would you help me with this? Oh, yeah. I don't need to worry about it. I need to pray about it. Thank you, Lord. And then the peace of God comes. Over the last six months, uh, my latest major spiritual battlefront, I'm being very vulnerable this morning, is a sense of failure. You know what? It's good to know your major spiritual battlefront. What's yours? Do you know what it is? Have you articulated it? Have you discerned it? It's not giving the enemy, you know, undue credit. It's just helping you to be prepared. Knowing it, it will, it will evolve. They kind of stick around for a year for me as a major focus. And then I've kind of got the arsenal then. And I can combat it. It may come around again in a number of years because kind of life's like that, isn't it? Going up another level. I need to apply this now to, I've got more responsibility now. There's more people that I, I, I've got to think about. Uh, and now I've got to go up again. So yeah, a sense of failure has been my main battlefront for whatever reason. But this is what I've learned, how to combat this truth, with, combat this with truth. I know, I've looked in scripture, that my success is not based on external expectations, either of me, mine, or anybody else's. No, my success is measured on these two things. My success is measured on my obedience to Christ. And yet with that is the diligence and the good-heartedness and the love and everything else and the servant heart, everything, yeah, but it's obedience to Christ. And my, my measure of success is, is the fruit of the Spirit. Is, is the Spirit producing more of his character in me? Is it becoming more displayed for all to see? For God's glory. And that's the measure of success, thank you very much. So anything else that might come against me, oh, you haven't done that very well. No, sorry. I'm not having it. That's not my measure of success. You see, this is how it works. I've got to talk about demolishing strongholds here because the passage refers to it. Sometimes this, 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 this approach uh, of telling thoughts to go and other to land, it doesn't feel like it's quite doing it. Why is that? Well, it could indicate a stronghold, as I referred to earlier, because our enemy is relentless. So if you've received the message, God doesn't love me. If you receive that once, he's going to send some more and more. He's going to give you a hundred reasons why God doesn't love you. Yeah? And so then it can become a stronghold, a camp, this fortress in your thinking. What do we do? No, it's the same, it's the same weapon. It's truth. It's truth. It's truth. It's truth that sets us free. But with this kind of example, you've got to keep going. You've got to persevere. You've got to go and go and go with it. Even when it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress, go again. Some would suggest it takes 40 days or six weeks for new thinking to be established. Even, you know, psychologists would, would suggest that kind of dynamic in our brain. But, you know, we have the weapon, and it has a promise that it will demolish strongholds. Another war example for you. Who remembers the Falklands War, 1982? Uh, we sent from Britain 100 ships thousands of miles across the Atlantic Ocean, including two aircraft carriers, to fight the Argentinians who were occupying the Falkland Islands, who were a British dependency. And uh, the British strategy was, at one point, to bomb Port Stanley's airfield. Why would we do that? Because that was the main supply route for the enemy forces, because they were occupying those islands. And it started on the 1st of May, 1982, and 
Lo and behold, 44 days later, oh, brilliant illustration, Tim, fantastic, yeah. 44 days later, on the 14th of June, the Argentinians surrendered, and then we marched into Port Stanley and, and took possession, if you like, again of those islands. And that's what we're doing when we're demolishing strongholds with the truth. We're bombing the landing strips, bombing those fortresses that are the enemy's illegal influence in our minds. Not meant to be there. We need to apply the truth and keep going with it. I just want to uh, highlight a couple of extra points of application, and then we're going to give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and minister to some of us individually. Firstly, I want to talk about the counselor. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. Hallelujah. John 14, this is what Jesus said to his disciples, and he's saying it to us now. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. What's he going to teach us? Truth. Will remind you of everything I have said. What's that? The truth. He's going to remind you of the truth. He's going to teach you and remind you of truth. Hallelujah. This is what we needed all along. The counselor. The Greek there, for those who are interested, the parakletos, the one called alongside to help. The helper, the advocate, the intercessor, the strengthener, the comforter, the counselor. He is our counselor. Counseling can be very helpful. The world is catching on to that and many benefit from it. But for Christians as well, we have the Holy Spirit. And he's offering a free 24-7, live-in counseling service for you if you're in him, if you're filled with him. Uniquely, the Holy Spirit, he knows what's going on in here. He doesn't have to unpick it all for days. He knows what's, what you think, what's faulty in there. He, he knows what truth will fix it. He is your counselor. Two practical things, therefore. Have appointments with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, he might be with you continuously as your alongside help, but have appointments with him. Sit down with him. Reflect with him. Holy Spirit, come and help me in this moment. Some questions to ask the Holy Spirit. Have you asked the Holy Spirit questions like these? I'd encourage you to do so. Holy Spirit, why am I feeling this? There's this emotion. I, I know it's a negative emotion. or It's an overreaction emotion. Why, Holy Spirit? Help me to understand myself. What's behind it? Holy Spirit, why did I react like that? I didn't behave very well there, did I, Lord? I, I overreacted. Why, Holy Spirit? What's going on? What's behind it all? What is the lie that I'm believing that is influencing how I think and therefore feel and therefore behave? Holy Spirit knows. He can help. Holy Spirit, what am I believing that's not true? Holy Spirit... What do I need to believe in this battle to combat that lie? Ask the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, by way of application, of course, and we'll come on to this in a few weeks, the Bible. When someone says, do I have to read the Bible? I guess it's a bit of a giveaway. Well, no, you don't. There's no law that you have to read the Bible. There's no brownie points for living the Bible. God's not going to love you anymore if you read the Bible. But if you, if you, go, if you just go away there, you've missed the point. There's a difference between reading the Bible and knowing truth. <laughs> knowing truth will radically transform your life. It will set you free. It will demolish the strongholds as you use them. It will help you win your spiritual battles and bring God's glory on earth. <laughs> 
Do I have to read the Bible? It wouldn't be, it's not, no longer a relevant question because he's the author of life. And all his thoughts and are flooded into here about you, about him, about the world, and about all the questions the world has. This is flooded with the truth. You, you won't be thinking, oh, oh, what's that happy thought I have to remember? You won't be thinking, what was it that Dale spoke on? 2010, I think it was. I need to know now. No, no, you'll have the truth with you. And you'll be using it. And then you'll be, it'll be influencing your thinking. And that's all the dynamite you need. Like Joan and Elspeth and Helen during the battle for Britain, let's stay in the post. Let's man the communication tower in the battle for minds. However fierce the fighting overhead, however persuasive or pervading or proud the thoughts that come to you are, let's keep turning away lies and letting God's truth land in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's do that. Yeah. As I say, I really want to give opportunity now for the Holy Spirit to minister to you personally. I encourage you to stand up if you will. Just to change, change the dynamic for us. Just get yourself in a position really that says, Hi, Holy Spirit. <laughs> he's right there whatever that is for you hands arms eyes whatever the holy spirit is with us if you're in christ he is our counselor i'm going to give an opportunity if you want more of the holy spirit if you want to ask the holy spirit some questions What do you want to deal with in me, Holy Spirit? What's the lie behind the struggles I'm in? Why is it I react like that or feel that? If you want to begin to ask the Holy Spirit those questions, I'm going to ask you to come forward uh, to this area. There's nothing special about the front, not more anointed than where you are. (laughs) But I think there's just something in the act of moving that demonstrates a decision we've made. Yes, Holy Spirit, I want more of you. You might already know what the issue is, if you like, what the front line of your spiritual battle is. But what you might need now is, Holy Spirit, what's the truth I need to know? Teach me the truth. Show me the truth. Remind me. Sometimes it's the simplest things, and you know it already. But you need him to say, that's it. Remember. Remember what it says. Remember that account in the Bible. Remember that prophetic word you've had. Sometimes we need the Holy Spirit just to uh, make these truths alive. I know what the truth is. I know what it is. I know what I need to hold out in faith. But it's like, it's still just a little bit theoretical. I want, I want to know it because I know it because I know it. Yeah, I want to feel it. I want to experience the truth. The Holy Spirit's into that. So come to the forward now if you want to be one of those that knows more of the Spirit, more of his revelation in your life. Unpicking things for you, bringing truth to life. It doesn't matter if you know it all, 
doesn't matter if you've just got a sense, I just think I need some of this. It's an opportunity, just a simple one. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to come.